Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. try to keep in touch, text, talk every now and then. Man, I, I hear from Brandon um, frequently uh, as to what God is doing in the midst of, of Kaya, and, and forgive me for not knowing everything that's going on in, in a lot of the other ministries, but I hear about all the things that God is doing here and in your lives, like, like what God is personally doing in your life, but then also through your life. Man, I'm telling you, it's encouraging. Uh, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst where the world says, time out, everyone go home, lock your doors, God is doing some great things. And listen, listen, we have to keep our eyes open that in the midst, in the very midst of chaos, in the midst where the world is seeking answers, the church cannot go behind closed doors, but the church needs to enter into the fray. And by God's grace, you have continued to do that. And I, and I can speak for living faith and Lee Summit that I believe God is doing that in, in our ministry as well. And I know the same is true for the other parts of the world. Man, I hear from my brother in Boston. Uh, on a weekly basis, there are new people that are coming to the, uh, the Sunday evening services. And uh, man, Brooke... Maybe I just have this, I need to pray for more faith, but you think, oh, Boston's going to be, you know, a difficult road. And it's like every week people are just coming and people have questions. And I mean, uh, I'm telling you guys, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for what God is doing. And you guys should be too. You should be excited for, for what he's doing. So many things to be excited about. I know living faith, uh, you know, how God has continued to grow. Where's Blade at? Right there. Is it is it a year now? Yeah. It's been it's a year like maybe like a couple days. Like was October third was our first Sunday, something like that. So so we have had a young adult ministry, a college and young adult ministry for one year, and man, God has done great things on the University of Central Missouri campus at Longview, on the streets of Lee Summit in different ways. Our young people have have heeded to the call. Of evangelism, of discipleship. And I'll just tell you, man, it gets me excited uh, as to what God is doing in our lives. He's been so good. And again, I apologize. I know there's wonderful stories of what God's doing in Denver and, and uh, all these different places, Tampa as well. It's just, it's really exciting. For me, I can speak from Kaya's experience, talking with Brandon and living faith. It is so encouraging to hear of. Small groups growing, small groups forming, small groups splitting off. Uh, man, was it 30? First, yeah. So we, we're, we're, we're approaching almost 30 Bible studies uh, on the UMKC campus, in our homes, in our workplaces, throughout the city. And in the Living Faith, by God's grace, we are starting different small groups throughout the area as well. And New leaders are coming along. New leaders are growing. People are turning to Christ. Uh, I know at Living Faith we have four baptisms of four different young people that in two weeks they're going to give their public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let the church know, let their families know, I'm following the Lord. That's, that's exciting stuff that we're all a part of. People are being baptized. People are being discipled. Choosing to give their lives to Christ. And listen, guys, this is not a small thing. Man, do not get bored of a baptism Sunday. I, honestly, I don't know how you can. It's like freakish what, what God does on baptism Sundays. Do not find yourself in a place where you are 
unaffected by new fruit. We can't find ourselves, no matter if you are brand new to Midtown or living faith, or, or you know, living faith or living faith, uh, or Denver. Uh, no, man. No, whether you are new or whether you are, you guys got to figure that out too. When, when's Living Faith Midtown going to come on, right? Living Faith Midtown. Yeah, Lindsay. Lindsay, you better watch it. I'm looking at you. <laughs> anyway. No, but here's the thing. We found the Pharisees. This is what we found. <laughs> that here is the thing. We'll never change. Midtown forever. <laughs> I lost my husband. We can't get to the place where we become unaffected by new fruit. Lives are being changed by the cause of Christ. Lives are being changed, ripped out of Satan's grip, ripped out of this world system, torn from another family, brought into the family of God so that they can forever enjoy his presence and be enjoyed by him. Wow. This should get us excited. Souls, souls that have been separated from God from their inception have now been and are being reconciled, reconciled to Jesus, reconciled to their creator. The creator who always loved them, the creator who desires them, the creator who said, I've given you my son because I want to be with you. That's happening here. That's happening here. When I think of these things, it, it makes me grateful for how good God has been to us. How good he's been to us. And it makes me consider in light of these blessings, in light of the many things that, that we see God doing, in light of all of the affairs that, that are coming about in the church today, it makes me consider how then... How then should I arrange this life? And notice I didn't say my life. How should I arrange this life? This life that God has given me in light of fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. What should be the pursuit of my life? You guys, we, we know that... <coughs> Sam and the ones. Talking for six hours... In a, in a car, we're kind of a little where you out. So, if I am going to consider that this Christian life that God has given me, if I'm going to consider that this Christian life actually has a destination, you believe that? Yeah. And I'm actually not speaking of heaven, although we we can we can cherish that thought. I'm speaking to the fact that this life that God has given us, by which we actually gave to him, by the way, you know that, right? When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the word of God says that you were bought with a price. Therefore, this body, which we claim so often and so flippantly as our own, it actually belongs to someone else. It belongs to God. And so in light of the judgment seat of Christ that is approaching ever so quickly, what should be the pursuit of this life? What should be the pursuit of my life? You guys, there are so many generic answers, but in reality, how should I then, how should I then, how should you begin to position ourselves? How should we position ourselves in light, in light of all of the many things that are happening in our midst? And for the most part, I may be speaking of the church. Well, let's just consider for the simple fact right now that God has given us all his grace. He's given us all these blessings if you're one of his. If you're found in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. What should be the focus of my heart? What should be the focus of your heart? And I know this is a message. And I know that I'm going to keep talking. And you're going to keep moving on. But could we just for a moment consider just for a moment what, what should the focus be? of my heart be tonight? We all know the right answers. We know that we should position our lives around evangelism. 
that we are to involve our lives in discipleship, that we have been called by God to God to worship Him. We know that there is an expectation if we are to know God, that we are to read His Word, that we are to spend time in the pages of this book that gives us His mind. We know that, that the Word of God is so clear that we should lift our voices, that we should praise His name in our homes, in our cars, in our, in our workplaces, as we're walking down the, the aisle in a grocery store, that as God gives us the opportunity, we should praise Him. We should sing to Him. You, you know, we know those things. We know to, to pray, to prepare, give and go. We know these things. These are the right answers. And aren't these all the right answers that we know to give so well? I know for me, I'm, I'm really good. I'm really kind of, I'm good at giving the right answers. Anyone else good at giving the right answers? I'm good at giving the right answers. It's so easy to enter into a mode of knowing how to use that kind of Christian speak, if you will. And yet if right now, what if no one was watching? What if right now, no one was watching it, and if you could somehow imagine in an instant, boom, no one's here. It's just you. Just you in this room. Everyone just poof, vanishes, which is the rapture, by the way. So, which we could then talk about that later. What if in this moment, everyone's gone, no one is watching, and I asked everyone right now, if you were to be painfully honest with your response, and here's the question I would ask you. No one's watching. You could write it now, no one will ever read it. What are you truly pursuing? What not the right answers. What are you what are you truly pursuing? Not the answer that you want people to know of you, but what are you truly pursuing? What would your answer be? What keeps you up at night? Because the things that occupy our minds before our heads hit the pillow, the things that occupy our minds when we wake up out of bed, the things that occupy our minds when we're driving down the road or walking to campus or whatever it is, those are the things that you are pursuing. What keeps you up at night? What are those things? Is it a job? Is it money? Maybe it's a future spouse. For, for some of us, you know, really, we, we just want friends. Really, a church is an opportunity for us to have friends who will love us, who will care for us. Man, if I, if I could just have some friends who cared for me. For some of you guys, that is the pursuit right now. And I'm not shaming you for that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to clown you for that. What I'm saying is, is let's be honest. Let's just right now be honest about what is it that I'm truly pursuing I don't want the right answer right now. That's not the point of what I'm trying to convey. I'm right now asking that what if all of us were just to be honest with where we are right now? Someone, someone to love me? Someone that I could give love to? Man, if that happened, I'd, I'd be full. I'd be full. You know, for others, man, you pursue cynicism and criticality like an art form. Maybe it was your education that brought about that critical thinking. And that has fueled this pursuit in your life. I know for me, our art school did that for me. Man, I was the smartest guy in the world. Man, once I graduated, you didn't want to even be 10 feet near. I can't talk right now. See, that's how God humbles you. Man, Eric, I'm lying on my diet, right? You know it. Yeah. You were just as bad. <laughs> just, just don't pretend. No, but man, I'll tell you. Uh, man, it's art school. There's something about that place. Uh, but and I know for me, man, that's that criticality, right? It, it just was like overflowing. My cup runneth over. Man, I became very critical for a time. And let's not forget politics. Right? Maybe that's your pursuit. In so many ways, we are becoming more submitted. We are becoming more submitted and transformed 
by the renewing of our minds, by the religion of politics, than we are to Christ. In light of the current climate, could it be that you are pursuing activism with a greater sense of urgency than the Great Commission? Hoping that in some way, the world system will create lasting spiritual change. Maybe that's your pursuit. That in some way, the social gospel, or in some way, a social justice cause, which is spurred on by the world, will actually create lasting spiritual change. Maybe that's your pursuit right now. For some, let's be honest, it's playing sports. It's reading books. It's, it's downtime. It's, it's alone time. Some of, guys, some of you are so stinking good at video games, you could put on a clinic. Maybe it's studio time. Right? After all, we've been told that this is our identity. We've become enslaved to this notion of artist as the title that separates you from the masses. Let's not forget social media. Maybe this is your pursuit. Our imaginary schizophrenic friend that provides no solutions, only appearances and critique. And yet we keep pursuing it. Or maybe it's just that you're pursuing a life free from stress, free of anxiety, free of feeling trapped, and you'd give anything if just that you wouldn't feel that again. Maybe it's just, man, I just want to sin less. I want to be better, right? And we have all these thoughts of, I just want to do better for you, God. I want to sin less. I don't know what, I don't know what the pursuit is. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, lastly, you are pursuing the Word. Maybe that is what occupies your heart, your mind, your feet, your hands. Some of you are truly invested in the Bible, or maybe possibly the church. Maybe that is your pursuit, the church. Yes, you see, there's so many pursuits. There are so many pursuits, and I've just named a few. Some of these would even be called worthy pursuits. And there are also some that, honestly, well, they're, they're not so worthy. And so in light of this tonight, I'd like to speak on this topic of a worthy pursuit. A worthy pursuit. And there, guys, there's so much we could say about this. In particular, I'd like to focus our topic on two particular foci. About two months ago, I was reading through the book of Job, and as always... When you're reading Job, you're just praying to get through the book of Job as fast as you possibly can. So it's like, ah, oh, great, Job, okay. Right, you're just reading, patience, nope, I'm good. Trials, nah, I'm okay. Right? Talk about speed reading, right? A friend will ask you, man, where are you reading today? You're like, well, I just started the book of Job. Next day you're tweeting out, glad to be in Psalms. Right? <laughs> so I, I was in Job and, and uh, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, read Job. It's pleasant. Stick around a while. So I was wrapping up the book of Job, and I was just considering how Job, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job has literally lost everything. In the very beginning of the book of Job, we have a man, a good man, a man who loved God, a man who sacrificed unto God, a man who gave his life in so many ways to pursuing a right walk with God. And yet in a moment, he loses everything. Guys, he lost his children. His children were taken away. They were killed. Killed. Ten children killed. While they were all having a banquet together. Can you imagine the terror? He lost his children. He loses his health, his wealth. He loses everything. It was all gone. His own wife tells him to curse God and die. Curse God and die. And all along this book of Job, we hear his friends. And yes, for seven days, they stood there quiet. They just mourned with Job. For seven whole days, they just sat there and they mourned with Job and they didn't say a word. Man, they just witnessed what had happened to this man. They witnessed what had 
what had been done to this man. But then following those seven days, there is this onslaught, this onslaught of his friend's rebukes. They sit here for seven days and they say nothing. And then after that, they, they begin to speak. And as Job was just bawling his eyes out and he's, he's in pain and he's, he's just mourning the very day that he was born. They say, well, Job, it's because you have sinned. It's because you have sin in your life, Job. So, man, he's dealing with that on top of everything else that's going on. And they're telling him, Job, you're clearly in sin. Which then leads Job. Job then enters into a discussion with his friends where he begins to defend himself. He begins to try to tell his friends, I've done nothing wrong. There's nothing I've done to deserve this. And, and he enters this discourse where he begins to defend his actions. And, and I can just say that this was a hard time in Job's life. A hard time. It's interesting as you're reading through the book of Job, all along the way though, and maybe some of you guys are familiar, the book of Job is spitting game left and right. I mean, it's, it's no joke. What is coming out of those pages is just flat out ridiculous. The notions of prophecy, the notions of all the spiritual applications, the notions of the tribulation and, 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 and suffering, and man, it just layers upon layers and all these different concepts and things that they are speaking of in regards to creation. It's, it's, it's beyond me. The things these guys are saying, is, it's just, it's insane. It, it's, it's incredible. The insight they had, the truth being dropped was staggering. It makes you feel like your head is about to explode. So much truth, so much depth found in the book of Job. Can anyone say yes, that's true, amen? And when you've read the book of Job, you're just thinking, I just didn't, I don't know what they even talked about. I have no idea. Right? That's usually my response, right? Which is probably why I don't learn a lot when I read through the book of Job. But I'm saying it's, like, it's incredible. It's incredible what God is saying through these men and even through their miscalculations. And so I see this, this man. I, I can't even understand. I can't get it. He's lost everything. Everything. He's lost his kids. He's lost his, 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 his livelihood, Every, his house, his home, his wealth. Everything that he amassed, he lost his, his health. There are oils that are covering him. He's, he's actually using broken pieces of ceramic pottery and just grazing it across open sores just to just to, to you know find some relief. Like, I can't can you guys get your head around that? I can't get my head around that. And in the midst of that, his friends begin critiquing his very actions, his thoughts, his words, everything. And then I come across Job 38. Then I come across Job 38. Job has just now gone through the worst season of his life. And after 37 chapters of hearing man's convincing words, God shows up. After 37 chapters where, where man was, was showing to God how intelligent he was, how, how smart he was, and each one of these guys was just dropping truth uh, like nobody's business. It was, it was incredible. And following these 37 chapters, all of a sudden, it's like a knock on the door, more like a whirlwind. God says, I'm here. So much doctrine was being strewn around like candy. And then we arrive in Job 38, verse 1 through 3. And it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind, out of the whirlwind, and said, and guys, don't miss this. Who is this? Who, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job, who do you think you are? Following all of this, as God enters the scene and as all these guys were dropping so much truth, 
the one thing that Job says as he enters into the room, as this whirlwind is whipping around, he says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. And we will see that if you were to read any further, that God goes through this, he goes through this litany of questions. And if you read Job 38, you'll find that he has not finished. And you read Job 39, and God spends two chapters asking Job question after question after question. And God goes through this litany of questions by which Job has no answer. Job is speechless. And it's not until Job 40 that Job even says a word. After hearing God speak, after being in the very presence of God, as God enters into Job's life, as he enters in in this darkest of his days, and Job and God ask him question after question after question, Job finally responds. He says in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 40, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. A vile. God has, has, God has entered into Job's life. Don't miss this, guys. Don't miss this. God has entered into Job's life. And his very presence is felt. And God's voice is being heard by Job's ears. And as God asks him question after question after question, and as Job knows that I don't have the answers for the questions, God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what he says. He says, oh God, I am vile. I'm vile, God. There's nothing in me, God. I've heard you speak. I've been in your presence. And the only thing Job can now think is, oh God, who am I? Who am I? I'm empty, God. I'm vain. I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. After hearing God speak, there is only one thing that is now running through Job's mind. No longer is he concerned with what others think of him. No longer is he concerned about his friends. Man, his friends could be a million miles away. They're gone. No longer is he concerned about the professors, about the classmates, about his co-workers, about his friends, about his job, about whatever situation. That's gone. It's gone. And as God has now entered into his life and the presence of God is being fully felt on Job, Job responds and says, oh God, I'm vile. I'm vile in your presence. I'm vile. The arguments that have gone on for 37 chapters, the arguments now have no more bearing. Everything now has become abundantly clear. There is now only one thing Job knows. There's only one thing he knows, that as he stands in the very presence of God, that he is vile. Job realizes that he is nothing. He's nothing. You see, whatever, you see, whatever other worth, uh, worthy pursuit, whatever other pursuit that Job had, even while going through this trial, now is of no concern. You guys get that? Whatever. Whatever his pursuits were, now no longer mattered. They were gone. And what triggered that? What triggered that? He was in the presence of God. Whatever pursuit Job came into this setting in, at this very moment, Everything else that had flooded his mind. Have you guys ever been there? 
where the world's concerns, the world's problems, even the way that you're going to respond to the world, all the things that flood your mind, guess what? At this moment, boom, it didn't matter anymore. And the only thing that Job could consider in light of God's glorious nature, of his glorious face, Job realized, I'm vile. God, what can I say? I'm going to put my, my hand on my mouth. I can't. I'm not going to speak. It was now of no concern. And this is key point number one. Our pursuits, our pursuits become vile as they are placed in view of God's presence and his voice. Our pursuits become vile as they are placed in view. As they're placed in view of God's presence and his voice. Job realized that no matter how important he thought his views were, just moments before. Do you guys understand that? Just moments before. Just moments before. Job's mind was flooded with all of these concerns, all of these uh, uh, troubling thoughts of how he's been wronged by his friends, how he's been wronged by this life, how he's been wronged by all these things. And oh God, God showed up. And so he realized that every other pursuit was vile now as it was viewed in place of Jesus, place of God. Job, no doubt, could quote Daniel 5.27 and say, I have been weighed in the balances, and God, I am found wanting before the awesome presence of God. Job answers God one more time. So Job answers God in, in Job 40, and he says, he says a sentence. And he answers God again in Job 42, verses 1 through 6. And it provides one last comment. He gives us one last, last comment from Job following his encounter with God. And says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. And guys, right now, in verse 3, it says, And what Job is now doing, he is right now quoting the Lord. He's, been, he's going to quote the Lord. He says, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? So Job, in responding to God, he, he repeats the question. God gave him a question in Job 38, and Job now repeats the question. God, the, the question you just gave me, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Shekinah glory. Is this, is this time? Is this like a rock show? A very slow one. In verse 3, Job is realizing that as God asked him these questions, as God entered into his life, he realized God... I didn't understand. These things were too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And then once again, Job recites God's first comments. Verse 4, here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. So this is not Job telling God, I demand of thee, you declare unto me. You want me to demand? I'll tell you. No, Job is repeating what God is saying. And so what do we see in verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse 5? Here's Job's answer. Job says, listen, God, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, at the end of the day, God was not impressed with Job's knowledge. God was not impressed with Job's knowledge. No matter how staggering in our minds the words that were being spewed were, God had little interest. 
God had little interest. Hear those words again. In fact, in, jo in God's mind, Job's wisdom was just making everything darker. Who is this that darkeneth counsel without knowledge? Who is this? And Job realized, it was me. It was me. You see, God is not impressed with our intellect. God is not impressed with my knowledge. That was almost a Kenny Morgan. Did you guys see that? <laughs> That's good. You got you got if you just, I mean, I'm a horrible speaker. Uh, never invite me to preach tonight. Uh, so, no. If you want to pretend like you're Kenny, just act like you smell something really bad. <laughs> and then you gotta stick your arms out. You know, right? Don't bring me into this. <laughs> Anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> Listen, guys. God is not impressed with my knowledge. He's not impressed with your knowledge. He's not impressed with your intellect. He's not impressed with all the things that we bring to the table. I was impressed with Job. I was impressed with his friends. But God says, no, I'm, not, I'm actually not. Who is this that darkeneth counsel without knowledge? In God's mind, Job's wisdom was just making everything darker. God was not impressed or interested in what Job knew. And finally, as Job was placed in the very presence of God, he realized how poor his pursuit had been this whole time. And now Job wasn't impressed with Job either. And now, as Job was now in the presence of God, he actually wasn't impressed with himself either. In the end, Job realized that all of his pursuits, that all of his pursuits, that God's word, his creation, his science, his judgments, his person, that they were all too wonderful for him. And as he looked upon himself one more time, he said, oh God, I was a fool. I truly thought my pursuit was right and holy. My estimation of self far outweighed my estimation of you. And oh God, I now I abhor myself. Look at me. How great I thought I was. Lord, I repent in dust and ashes. You see, for so many of us, as we have ventured down this Christian path, along the way, along the way, I believe we've made a wrong turn. At some point along this journey, say at some point along this path we started to view things from a distorted lens somehow the mission got contorted in the midst of all the Sundays in the midst of the Tuesday night prayers and the midweek services in the midst of all of our attendance in the midst of all the small group Bible studies, in the midst of discipleship one, discipleship two, in the midst of the LFBI classes, in the midst of your connections ministry, in the midst of the praise, worship nights, in the midst of, of the practices, in the midst of the hours study, in the midst of all those things, somewhere, somehow, for some of us, we got lost. We got lost. But the problem is, is we don't know we're lost. Brandon and I were driving down here, and we're following what we think is the right way. And we made it to our destination. And only when we got to our destination did we realize that we were wrong. And I am telling you guys right now that I think many of you will also find that same fate. Except I'm not speaking of some stupid three-hour drive. I think for so many of us, we're going to find ourselves, actually, we believe fully. Yep. We believe fully. Yeah. This isn't going to be a good point. <laughs> we believe... 
I don't know about you guys, but that makes me think of like some type of like a, a dream catcher thing. So something's going on right here. I don't know. Like. I do believe this, so guys, that somewhere along the way, not not a few, and, and guys, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, not a few, not 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 a couple, but many of us, that we've gotten lost, that we've gotten lost along the way, we've gotten lost in the midst of the service, we've gotten lost in the midst of of all the requirements, that we've gotten lost in all of the activities, we got lost in our journey. And guys, I am telling you, as a person that's twice your age, I'm telling you right now that it won't hit you until it's too late. It won't hit you until you hit your destination. By God's grace, for many of us in this room, it will be heaven. I pray to God that that's the answer, but I cannot be sure. I cannot be sure in a room like this that that will be the answer for all of us. And I'm telling you right now, for some of us, we won't realize that we've gone the wrong way until we get there. And only when we get there, we're going to realize, man, I wish I could have done that again. Somewhere, somehow, for some of us, we got lost. But the problem is, is that we don't know we're lost. And why is that? Because we've become acclimated to it. We've become acclimated to being lost. We've become acclimated to, to living in the dark. We've become acclimated to this lifestyle, these, this way of living that God never intended to become used to it. We've become the blind, leading the blind. Having abandoned the pursuit of God, we've instead sought after the pursuit of knowledge. And in doing so, we no longer view ourselves as vile. We no longer abhor ourselves in the presence of God. We've thus traded in humility for acumen. And so it has become more important to know a thing than to be in the presence of the king. Along the way, we got lost. We got lost in the ministry. We got lost in the service. We got lost in being a Christian. We take on the name and we've forgotten what it means that you belong to him. Not to some Bible study, not to some church, not to some activity, not to some religious moment or experience, but that you belong to a king. That you're his, that you've been bought with the cross. The very blood of Christ. As it relates to the ministry, may I suggest that while it's a good thing to desire to lead others, that while it's a good thing to pursue a discipleship relationship with someone else, that while it's important for us to know the very book that has given us life, can I just make one suggestion? What if we traded it all in? What if we traded that all in to be sitting at the feet of Jesus? And then, and then, out of that pursuit, out of that worthy pursuit, if we traded everything in, if we gave it all away, we said, oh God, the one thing I want is just to sit at feet. Oh God, if I could just be with you. Would we trade it all in? Would we? If we could just be sitting at the feet of Jesus, and then out of that pursuit, all the other worthwhile pursuits would now be found coming from a person who has spent time with God. If you and I make the decision to place ourselves at the feet of Jesus and we choose that one pursuit and then out of that pursuit, out of that singular focus of your heart, of your life, out of that one place, everything else, all the issues of life that spring out, all the things that God has placed on your heart, the burdens that even God says, I gave that to you. If we first start at a place where we would sit at his feet, 
to enjoy Him. Not the labors, not the activities, not all of the, the busy things that can occupy our minds, but that we would just choose to do that, and then out of that, out of that, the small group, out of that discipleship, out of that, your Bible study, out of that, your worship, out of that, your ministry to your friends, to your loved ones, out of that comes all of these other opportunities that God says, yes, out of me, I give this to you. So key point number one, again, our pursuits become vile as they are placed in view of God's presence and his voice. Key point number two is this. Our pursuits become profitable only as they pour out from the singular place of being in the presence of God. Our pursuits can become profitable as they pour out from the singular source of being in the presence of God. Notice I didn't just say if you read the Bible. Notice I didn't say if you go to church. Notice I didn't say that all of your pursuits will be profitable if you do a Bible study. I'm not speaking of those things. No, I'm speaking of deliberately desiring to spend time with God. The pursuit is focused on God alone. Genesis 15, 1, it says, after these things, you know, what, what was before those things? Man, before these things, Abram is kicking butt. He is taking out kings left and right. And after these things, after, after Abram has just, you know, handled his business quite well, chapter 15 comes and God says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, hey, Abram, I saw what you did. Fear not. Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. You guys know that that's the first mention of reward in your Bibles? The very first mention of reward in your Bibles is God is saying, what? I am your reward. I am your reward. The very first time this word comes up in your Bibles, it's God saying, Abram, and who was Abram? Abram was a man who simply believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abram just says, I believe you. I believe you, God. And God says this, Abram, a man of faith. Are you men of faith? Are you, are you women of faith? Are you children of faith? Is that you? I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. Out of that, everything else begins to make sense. Out of God becoming your reward. Not the church, not ministry, not discipleship, not leadership, not activity, not friends, not all of these other pursuits. But as God becomes this pursuit, everything else begins to make sense. The ministry makes sense. The word makes sense. Praise makes sense. The relationship I have with my wife makes sense. The relationship I have with my kids it begins to make sense a little bit. The relationships that I have in the church... And in the world, they all begin, guess what? They all begin to fall into place. That's a really small hole for water. So, a blessing, though, thank you. Have you guys ever been in a place where you just think, why is my life so hard? Why is my life so confusing? Why is it I can't get my head around this problem? Why is, why is it every time I turn around, there's something else going on? And sometimes God just allows us to go through trial. Amen? We know that. It, sometimes it's not like you did something wrong. God's just saying, it's your turn. <laughs> sometimes it's just your turn, and we just got to get in line. And, you know, like, oh, ouch. You know, and then we go on. And, and you know, sometimes it's just time, okay? But uh, it's like, oh. Okay, so anyway. Out of what? Out of a pursuit in God, out of pursuit to Him, guess what? Everything begins to make sense. Your relationship with your friends, your co-workers, your family, even your relationship with the lost, it starts to make sense because you've spent time with God, because you've spent time in His Word, because you've spent time in prayer, because you've spent time with Him. 
Because you spent time with him. All of a sudden you look up and you see your lost friends and you go, it makes sense now. All of a sudden when you are singing the words to the song, you realize because you spent time with God, you say, that's worth it for me to sing that. It's worth it to sing those words. It's worth it. I don't even like that song. And it's worth it. Oh no, we love every song. Guys, it's worth it. And everything makes sense. Because we have spent time with him. Because I have chosen to spend time with God, not only does our estimation of God grow, but my estimation of self is reduced as well. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 25. It says that a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. And guys, she was nothing better, but rather grew worse. In this passage, we have a woman who had a blood problem. There was something wrong with the blood. For 12 years, this woman suffered. For 12 years, the evidence of her, fruitful, of her fruitfulness, the evidence of her fruitlessness, I should say, was on constant display. She had tried and pursued every possible angle for healing, and yet to no avail. No pursuit had proven to be adequate, they all fell short. This woman had pursued every potential for healing. Was that you? Was that me? Where we looked and 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 we looked for, for healing in all of these different areas. And oh, by the way, there was a problem with the blood. There was a problem with our blood. It was tainted. It was tainted by the sin that has so easily beset us. And we have this woman, and there was a problem with the blood. And there was an issue of blood that would not stop for 12 years. For 12 years. And the evidence of her fruitlessness anyone to see. How embarrassed she must have been. How hopeless she must have been. How in pain she must have been. This whole time, 12 years. Not 7 days. 12 years. But, but, when she had heard of Jesus, when she had heard of Jesus, Verse 27 says this. When she had heard of Jesus, for 12 years she had suffered this, this debilitating pain. But when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Man, I am telling you, once she discovered who Jesus was, she knew that she needed to be near him. Did you guys hear that? Once the woman who had the blood issue that wouldn't stop and there was no healing... The world could not provide her the healing that she needed. And it was on constant display. Once she heard of Jesus, once she knew what, she, what he could do in her life, once she knew that, she knew that she needed to be near him. I don't think you're hearing me. She says, if I could just 
If I could just touch his clothes. Oh, if I could just shake hands. If I could just get near him. For 12 years, for 12 years, she's going through this pain, this debilitating pain. And it was embarrassing, and it was on display, and it was so humiliating, and it was, and it was horrible, and it was devastating. And all of a sudden, she heard of this man, and this man can heal her. And she says, what's his name? What's his name? And the people say, it's Jesus, and he's coming. And she goes, if I could just touch his clothes, if I could just get near him, if I could just get close to this man who would bring me healing, I know I'd be healed. And man, wouldn't you know it, as the people were thronging, they were thronging after Christ, she finds her opportunity, and as she reaches her hand out, people are thronging him, and she's reaching with everything she has, ever reaching for Jesus, and as her fingers graze onto his garment, they graze upon the garment, as her fingers get hold of his garment, immediately... Immediately she begins to sense it. All through her body she feels it like a wave rushing over her soul. Immediately she felt the fountain of her blood. It was dried up because she touched Jesus. Because she touched him. Verse 30 it says, And Jesus Immediately knowing in himself, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that what well, guys, virtue had gone out of him. He turned about. He turned about in the press, in the press of everything, and said, "Who touched my clothes?" As she grazes her fingers upon his garment. And as the healing begins to overwhelm her, Jesus knew immediately as well that virtue had come out of me. And he turns back and he says, who touched me? Guys, isn't it great that Jesus felt it too? Isn't it great that Jesus felt it too? Isn't it great that when we purpose to pursue after God. Isn't it, isn't it so wonderful that when you and I, when we say, Oh God, I need you. I don't need anything else. There's only one pursuit, and God, it's you. I need to be in this book, not to learn all these things, but because I need you in my life. And when we act just like this woman who realizes, God, there's a problem in the blood. There's a problem in my life. I need you in my life. Isn't it great that immediately when, when we cast our cares to him, that God says, I feel it too. I feel it too. That when we purpose in our hearts to pursue after God with such conviction, that it gets his attention as well. There were so many people thronging after him, but her pursuit got the attention of God. It was different. And can't you just imagine as Jesus was walking through the crowd, all of these people are thronging him, and then suddenly, like a bolt of lightning, his head jerks back, and he says, who touched my clothes? Felt it. Can you guys just imagine? Everyone's rushing around. Everyone is thronging him. Everyone wants to be with Jesus. Many people wanted to touch Jesus. And the disciples are walking around him. And all of a sudden, as he's walking through, all of a sudden, he stops. He turns around and says, who touched me? And his disciples are looking and say, verse 31, it says, And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. You see, there was a lot of ministry activity around him, but only one was pursuing him. And how interesting that the ones who were perceivably closest to Christ were the furthest away at this moment. Jesus stops everything. He stops everything and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And those, his disciples, the learners of God, the, the followers of Christ, they say, God, who touched you? Everyone's touching you. We're in the multitude. It seems so often that those who are closest to Christ, somehow we can find ourselves the furthest away. And why is that? 
Is it not because we've stopped pursuing him? And yet we've begun to pursue all the things that surround him. They had grown so accustomed to having access to God, the disciples, that they were prepared, that they weren't prepared for someone who had purposed in their heart to be with Jesus. Verse 33, it says, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So what brought about healing in this woman's life? What, what brought about the healing in this woman's life? It's very simple. She held on to Jesus. What brought about healing? She held on to Jesus. She left the world behind. She left all of her old pursuits. Doctors, no thanks. Not anymore. I got one pursuit and it's Jesus. And what she did is she reached out and she grabbed onto that garment. She grabbed onto Christ and made her confession to him. Who touched me? And she says, oh God, it was me. And she told him all the truth. God, this is everything that's happened to me. And oh God, I turned to you and I reached out. And God says, daughter, thy faith has saved you. Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. Be healed of thy plague. And in doing so, God's virtue, as we grab on to God, as we grab on to him, we see that his virtue pours into our lives. And not surprisingly, she, then following virtue, following God's virtue, she grabs onto the vesture of God, and his virtue begins to enter into her life. And as God's virtue then enters into our life, guess what happened to her? She experienced radical healing. Radical healing. Key point number three. Our pursuit of Christ brings us in contact with his virtue, which in turn brings about radical healing in our lives and the lives of those around us. You see, as we pursue Christ, it will bring us in contact with his virtue. And as his virtue gets poured into our lives, as his virtue enters into me, it then in turn brings about radical healing. So what is that worthy pursuit? What is that worthy pursuit that we are all pursuing today? Is it the ministry? Is it to be a leader? Is it to be greatly used in discipleship or in the church of some sort? Is it the knowledge of the Word of God? My greatest pursuit is the Word of God. And I understand what that means at times. But what if, guys? What if instead of pursuing all those things, and please hear me, I'm not telling you to stop reading the Bible. I'm not telling you to stop going to church. I'm not trying to tell you to stop praying. Guys, that's how I commune with God. That's how I get to know Him. And as I pray to Him, that's how I, I spend time with Him. And as I join the saints with the body of Christ in the local church, as I praise Him, as we sing to Him, as we hear of Him, these are ways that we can spend time with God. So please hear me. Hear the, 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 the construct, or maybe hear the context of what I'm trying to say. What if instead of pursuing all those things, instead we pursued virtue? What if we pursued closeness to God and then out of that, out of that intimacy with God, all those other things would usher out? What if instead of pursuing all those things, what if just for a moment you stopped considering Brandon, who can I disciple? Who can I disciple? Can you give me someone to disciple? What if instead of asking Brandon every five seconds if you could disciple someone, what if he said, you know what? Until that day happens, I'm going to spend time with you, God. I'm going to enjoy your presence. And out of me spending time with you, I think what's going to happen with that is it's going to affect your evangelism. It's going to affect your discipleship. It's going to affect your praise. It's going to affect your worship. It's going to affect everything. And so what if we pursued virtue instead? What if we pursued closeness to God 
And then out of that, the intimacy of God, out of that intimacy with him, all those other things would usher out. So let's close this up. We saw earlier that God was not impressed with Job's knowledge. None of that, frankly, interested God. He's God. Oh, by the way. He's not interested in your knowledge, your wisdom. But what is God impressed with? We know that the easy answer is what? Jesus, right? I'm not trying to trick you. Like, I'm not. We know that the easy answer is Jesus. We know that it's his son. But what if we were to go further? What is Jesus impressed by? Is he impressed by people's knowledge? Is he impressed with your knowledge as well? No. You know what stopped Jesus in his tracks? You know what stopped him right at that moment when the, when the woman grabs onto his garment? You know what stopped him? It was faith. It was faith. You see, guys, it's not about how much you know. Man, Brandon, when I finish D1, I'm going to tell you what, I'll, I'll get into the ministry, I'll do that, I'll be ready. When I finish D2, when I'm a small group leader, I'm telling you, just watch out, it's going to be awesome. I'll tell you, when I, when I, when I, when I, when I keep doing, when I, when I finally get there, man, guys, just stop it. How about instead of continually waiting until you know more, or you feel better about yourself, or you feel more acclimated or able, what if right now, instead of relying upon your own abilities, your own uh, accomplishments, that you just said, oh God, by the grace of God, and by my faith in you, I am what I am. It's not about how much you know, not how intelligent you are. None of that matters to God. Otherwise, our favor with God would be based upon our abilities. And so you see, it can't be that. It's all about whether or not you will choose to believe what God said in his word and about his son. Will you be found in his son simply clinging to his garment? So guys, here's some concluding questions. Brand, I don't know if, if I give it to you or the praise team. Have you seen right now, have you seen the vile nature of your pursuits? I asked everyone at the very beginning, if you, if you would consider just for a moment, what are your pursuits? What are you truly pursuing? Have you seen the vile nature of your pursuits? Have they been measured up against the person of Christ? And if not, may I suggest the reason for this? If you still right now have not seen the vile nature of your pursuits, could it be because you've grown distant from maybe not the ministry, maybe not the church, but the very presence of God in your life? Secondly, have you, like Mary, placed your pursuits at the feet of Jesus? Have you done that? Have you placed him at his feet, allowing his voice and presence to pour over every other part of your life? And then lastly, when's the last time you felt the virtue of God present in you? When's the last time after you spent time with God in his word, after you spent time on your knees praying to God, crying out? When's the last time you did that where you actually felt I'm not talking about some charismatic experience, okay, guys? Well, what I am saying is, when was the last time you felt God's presence? When was the last time you felt that in your life? That God was moving. That God was doing something. And it wasn't about you. But it was about Him. Is God bringing about spiritual healing in and through you? That today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.